Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Jed Crystal with me. Jed is a product designer. He has earned a master's degree in industrial design. Jed is also the founder and the creative director of Hepper which is a unique pet products company. Welcome. Hey, George. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for being here, Jed. You have started Hepper in 2007. What were you doing prior to starting Hepper? So prior to Hepper, I was working uh, in corporate settings as a designer, uh, primarily in outdoor gear and luggage. So anywhere from suitcases to snowboard backpacks to uh, ski gloves, mostly in soft goods but uh, always primarily in outdoor kind of active related products. So you are, you are a designer and a lot of designers are not interested in starting a business or maybe they're afraid of starting a business. So what pushed you into starting Hepper? <laughs> yes, it, it is kind of an unusual combination of interests, um, design and business. I guess it's the old right brain, left brain. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know when it started originally, but I've always had an interest. I can remember way, way back of like putting signs up in the neighborhood to mow the lawn and figuring out like how much is it going to cost me and what's the profit and all that. So I guess it's always been in my blood, but the creative side is probably a little bit stronger. Um, but in terms of starting Hepper itself, uh, like I said, I worked for a long time in corporate. I was helping other people build their brands through my designs, And I finally got to a point where it's realized that it's something that I uh, not only really wanted to do on my own for the experience that but also that I could do better you know obviously you always get to a point where you you think you can do a better job than your boss and and I was at that point <laughs> so what were some of those things that came to mind working for these other companies and designing all the different products that you mentioned um, what were some of the things that you said, you know what, I, I can do this better than, than, than so-and-so? Um, I'm not sure about specifics, but I, I remember a lot of frustration in, in designing and dealing with buyers. So often I would get design briefs that came to me through a marketing department that were created on the, the needs of a buyer from a big department store. So, for example, at Samsonite, uh, say one of their big partners would want a three-piece set of duffel bags and then it would trickle down to me as a creative person and they'd say, we need the most amazing duffel bag set that only costs $19.99. And, uh, and, you know, as a designer, that's a pretty frustrating design brief. Um, and I realized, you know, there's a time and place for this and it was certainly a great education, but what I really wanted to do was to be able to explore ideas that were personally interesting to me that were not limited by spreadsheets and margins and uh, someone else's needs more than really the end consumer needs, which was what I was most interested in. Okay. Now, you wrote on your website that Happer was born out of the universal thought there has got to be a better way. What was missing from the market prior to Happer? Yeah, so specifically with Happer Goods, um, 2007, it was, uh, you know, cats obviously are, are super popular online and, and all that. But um, my interests uh, in design, uh, especially around furnishings and furniture, are come on a, more of a modern take on things, uh, even if it's mid-century inspired, but kind of contemporary designer looks. So uh, when I had the idea for Hepper, 
I started looking around and couldn't find any of the styling that I was really looking for with my own human furniture uh, wants. And also, I, I didn't really find that function was uh, really a high concern. I saw a lot of low-end kind of products, again, that maybe fit somebody's margin needs, but didn't really fit a cat's needs or a person's needs that was uh, interested in how their home looked. Do you have a history of building things if you couldn't buy uh, what you need? Uh, yeah, I guess so, on a very, very small scale. Yeah, I, I very much enjoy the way things are put together and have always had a hands-on workshop and always trying to make stuff better. So, mm -hmm. yeah, this is probably the first time I've turned into a real uh, larger-scale production project. But, yeah, there's plenty of um, fixes, if you'll call them, <laughs> throughout my house. So uh, let's talk about how long, how long did it take you to go from idea to product? What was the, what was the first time you started to think about, uh, you know, Happer as a business? It took a little over a year. So it was probably 2006. Um, I was home. We had three cats at the time. I have a beginning of a modern furniture collection and, and realizing I wanted some stuff for them, primarily to keep them off the couch and off the chairs and couldn't find anything that really worked. So from that point, um, had some pretty initial ideas, some, some early sketching, did some research at trade shows. All of this kind of took time, you know, trade shows are every couple of months, started checking out the market. And then, so did you exhibit at the trade shows or no, did you just go and walk? The first trade shows uh, just went and walked to check out the market. Mm -hmm. So from, you know, those original ideas, it took about a year to work through ideas and getting protos made and then maybe another three months to get the first run in. So, you know, 12 to 15 months. So were you doing any kind of product validation prior to uh, even, you know, uh, you know, in the in the beginning, have you done any kind of validation? Um, not in the traditional sense of surveys and focus groups, um, which may or may not have been the way to do it. Um, I can give you a, a, a may not example in a second, but uh, I had some pretty strong ideas of what I wanted, and was a little uh, a little headstrong about just bringing them to market and just seeing what would happen. It's a admittedly a bit of um, denial about whether or not this would be a good business, um, just something I wanted to just do and then discover on the back end if it was good or not. Um, but no, in terms of actually testing the concepts uh, in, in a way that I could quantify, I have to admit I didn't do it. So you haven't built something and see if your cats would actually jump into oh. it and, and spend time in it and things like that? That actually, of course, of course. That's like the smaller scale. Yeah, I built some samples. Um, I brought them home one day. We had, I had like three ideas and three cats. So early, early prototypes. Yeah, we tested on the, the home testing. Bring it home, put it in the living room, and then each cat, uh, this is... Was it an instant hit with your cats or it, were they... I have to admit it was. They okay. literally came home, put it, put it down on the floor, and each cat came up, sniffed it, and jumped in all in a row. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I, I'm on to something. Now, if, if only all the other cats in the world are exactly like mine. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you tested it in your cats, but you, have you had any friends uh, with cats that you said, you know, why don't you take this and see, see how they react to it, or are they using it? Uh, again, pretty minimally in the early stages. Since then, I've definitely dumped, 
done that a lot more. But um, early stages was uh, a little bit of just gut instinct and kind of going for it. So you came up with the idea, and and then you said, okay, this is the prototype. Now I have to make it. So did you manufacture it or license uh, uh, the the furniture? Um, so everything's manufactured. Everything is custom and original and unique. So okay. from the original protos, I then worked with um, a factory to create the the pieces. And then the factory, where is the factory located? In, is it? Did you go to Asia or, or were you able to stay in America? Um, I, I went with Asia. Uh, everything okay. is made in Taiwan. Okay, now talk about that process a little bit. How did you find uh, the right manufacturer? Because I think that's a very scary proposition for many people. It, it is, and, and even you know, seven, eight years ago, it was even more scary and more difficult. It's gotten a bit easier since, but... Um, I was really lucky uh, to align with an agent in Taiwan from the, the get-go. I'd actually worked with him previously through a freelance design client, so I had already known him, and um, he was able to understand all the manufacturing techniques and actually had contacts already and was able to coordinate all the details. So in a lot of ways, having an agent uh, was really super integral into the early success of production and getting everything rolling. Oh, talk about maybe some of the challenges. I mean, uh, I'm sure there were some challenges, even though you found an agent. And, uh, you know, there has to be some challenges when you build a new product. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the first samples are always super depressing. Even even to this day, I've run through so many samples through all my all the, all my designs. And the first time you get something back, and it's just not what you were thinking, and and you're like, I don't understand how they got this wrong. So so working through samples and getting the communication clearer and clearer every time with the factory is always really challenging. Um, working with agents in general it makes it way easier. But of course, you're it's a, another step in the communication chain to the people that are actually making the product. So there's uh, all the levels of documentation and um, not 100% transparency because there's so many people involved versus me going into a shop and making something. So it's easy and it's also still pretty hard. So um what about uh, the the idea of knockoffs? Uh, you know, you hear these stories that people go to a manufacturer, uh, they start making it, and then they realize they start making it for a whole bunch of other people as well. Uh, how do you protect yourself against that? You know, it's a it's a very big concern, um, and honestly, I don't know if there's a lot of protection. So, uh, in my case, I did make that concern clear to my agent, and he specifically used non-pet product-related factories. So there was not um, that kind of interest from the factory side to let something slip out the back door. Um, so I think that's pretty effective. Now, admittedly, I've, I'm working directly with a pet-related factory in China right now, not with my agent. And I, I have to say that is a concern that if something went wrong or if they saw that it's a viable product, they could pretty easily sell it to uh, another customer. And I probably wouldn't have much recourse. So, in your first order, how many units uh, did you or have to order, like an entire container, or how many number of units did you order first? Um, first, we, we kind of eased into things. I think it was uh, 250 to 500 units when we first started out. 
But as things grew, um, it, we're definitely up into container stages at this point. And that is a, it's a bit of a challenging play for smaller companies to manage inventory flow and all of that. And the, the, the upside of working with Asia is uh, amazing quality and pricing, and the downside is high volume. So this first uh, first order you mentioned, 250 or so units, um, who were your first customers and how did you sell uh, those first units? So right out of the gates, we launched a website and sold direct to customers. Um, and then uh, within the first month or two, we did do a trade show. You had asked about that earlier. We did do a trade show, um, I think, yeah, it was month two, and picked up a number of uh, brick-and-mortar boutiques. So you went uh, the consumer and the wholesale route simultaneously? Yeah. At, at that point, because I was kind of learning about business and running the show, I, I decided I wanted to try everything and, and just see what the results were. Now, since then, we've dialed back and really are just selling direct or through online partners, whether a dropship or a wholesale model. But we only have a handful of brick-and-mortar stores that we still work with. And why is that? Um, it's a little bit of scale. It's a little bit of margin. So um, wholesale accounts, I've found, take a, a bit more time to manage. You know, of course, you want to have a good relationship with a, a, a real person in that real store. Um, so there's a little bit more time. And we made the decision to um, really focus our efforts on more scalable type of partners. Um, and also just the margin play for wholesale accounts. Obviously, it's a lot less than selling direct to a customer. Okay. What were some of the biggest challenges during your first couple of years being in business? You started in 07 and um, you know you started to manufacture um, uh, the products and uh, smaller quantities and larger and larger. But you know what were some of the, some of the challenges that really stand out that you had to deal with during the first two years? It's a great question, and I, I have a three prong answer for you. <laughs> um, great. Um, I a little back history on the company. I started it as a side venture, uh, as I mentioned. I'm kind of testing things out, and actually, the entire company was a little bit of a test. So, um, the first challenge was that it was a part time, uh, and I only had kind of a part time commitment to it. Uh, in retrospect, jumping in both feet at once uh, would have been way more beneficial. Second part was that I thought I could do everything, every element of the business, and and did. And while I think things turned out pretty well, I absolutely could have accelerated the growth um, by bringing in people, whether freelance or part-timers, um, early, early on. And then the third part was similar, was that it's a bootstrapped and self-funded company and continues to be, but I um, may have had, again, accelerated growth and from the early days if I had had a, a loan or a line of credit that was just enabling me to spend more on marketing or explore more uh, product line extensions. Do you now have a line of credit or some financial backing yeah. to help with the inventory? Yep. Yep, a line of credit through a great bank, and that um, was a great move for us. It really makes a ton of sense for anybody in a similar position. 
And you mentioned the, the second uh, part of your answer is that you tried and did everything in the beginning and you wish you hadn't. What were some of the things that you wish you had outsourced or, or hired for? So I, I'm really interested in, in learning all the new parts and, and being working online for the first time was super cool for me because coming out of a physical products experience, learning about digital products and websites and all of that was great and really fun to learn, but I absolutely should have offloaded it to an expert that just already knew how to do it. Um, so digital media, um, accounting, um, all the kind of things that don't really necessarily need my personal founder kind of touch, but it's something that I could oversee, I should have offloaded. And on the opposite end, what do you think that you really need to focus on, especially the first couple of years that you should not ever outsource? Uh, for, well, again, from my perspective as a design background, product design. Um, mm -hmm. I think once in the early stages to have your mark and your brand mark on it is great. I think it then can be outsourced with a, a real close working partnership with another designer. Um, but also similarly, the brand image, whether it be visual or in writing and through website content. Uh, I think personally to have that kind of founder mark on all of those uh, touch points, virtual or not, is important. But then again, once that's established and can be identified and defined, it, it's something that could be, uh, you, you could partner with other creative people to uh, continue your mark and your feeling. And then the, the first part of your answer, you mentioned that you started out part-time and you, you wish that you hadn't. But, you know, sometimes uh, people talk about that it's a good thing to start out, uh, you know, kind of like a side uh, hustle because maybe you have less pressure on yourself. Was that not the case uh, for you? Well, yeah. So um, I can give you a little more info on that. So the first, it was almost the three, first three and a half to four years were part-time. So I, I do agree. In the early stages, having a secondary income and being able to treat this as a exploratory venture was really fantastic. My, uh, looking back, I think what I probably could have done is um, not stretched it out for so long. Um, maybe give it a year and then give my, uh, I should have given myself a, a solid date and said, okay, I'm going to decide whether this is going to be a go for it date or not at a certain point. But Three or four years is a pretty long time to work on something part-time. And I say that mostly because once I did focus on it completely full-time is when I started really seeing the, the growth and the returns. So let's talk about that a little bit because I think it's important for us to see the signs that, yeah, this is now definitely a time for me to drop everything else and, and f go full force. On, on, on this business. So what were some of those signs that you, you saw that, that kept, you know, that told you that, you know, yeah, it's time for me to get really serious? Um, I think it was that the growth just wasn't happening as fast as I wanted. So uh, I was doing fine. It was, a, it was a small company that was just kind of plugging along. But when the numbers weren't growing every year in the same way, it was a pretty good sign. And then one way that could have helped grow the numbers is to keep designing more products. So at a certain point, I was down to only two products in the line, which is pretty hard to have a real full kind of brand understanding for first-time visitors. So um, 
if I had been paying more attention to uh, brand awareness and growth through product line offerings, that would have really helped as well. And that all kind of ties back to uh, finances. You know, I was trying to keep things pretty lean, but if I had just said, oh, you know what, I, it's, it's time to um, invest in more molds and more, more inventory and just figure out a way to make that happen, I think that um, not being scared of investing dollars for something that is, is already out there would have made a lot of sense at the time. What are your biggest expenses? You mentioned mold and you know creating mold and all that, molds and all that for manufacturing. Uh, what 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 are the biggest uh, uh, expenses? I mean, obviously, you have to buy inventory, but in addition to that, it, it's surprising to say, but the second business biggest expense is fulfillment and shipping. So storage of the goods, fulfilling them to customers, and actual shipping costs are the second biggest cost after actually buying the goods to resell. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about prices. How do you test prices? How do you set prices? Pricing is such a challenge in any business, um, you know, but especially in a business where you have fixed costs and, and a lot of expenses that you had mentioned already. Um, how do you experiment with what is the right price uh, or, or, or you don't? Uh, can you talk about that process? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it's a great question because it is a really confusing process and there's a, I think there's a little bit of art and a little bit of science in it for sure. Um, I started by just keystoning, so, um, which is pretty standard in the outdoor industry anyways, so doubling for wholesale and then doubling that again for retail and then I started working off of that. Um, but what I did plan in was the potential of all the different sales channels, so whether it's wholesale, retail, or distribution. And I wanted to be sure at every channel there was still some amount of margin available after my costs. So while starting with kind of a keystone model just to think about and then looking at my or anyone else's particular business model and being sure that within each sales outlet, there's a uh, margin built in. So if, for example, if I hadn't charged enough for my end retail uh, trickle down, if I was going to sell to a distributor for a reduction off of wholesale prices, maybe there's only a dollar to profit, which seemed crazy. So it kind of bumps up all the prices all along the chain. And then I guess the art of it is just looking at the market, looking at the brand and looking at your target customers and kind of feeling out where everything lines up. Sounds good. Um, now, let's talk about uh, differentiation a little bit because, you know, not just you, but everybody pretty much has a lot of competition. So, you know, your industry and, you know, every industry has a lot of competition. But, you know, and we all try to differentiate ourselves. How do you differentiate Happer from, from others in the market? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, um, it, it's funny because I have a, a couple other good friends with extremely similar target markets. Our products are a little different, but we're all feeding the same type of customer. Um, I think uh, for, for me, it's uh, maintaining a strong brand image so that our message is clear to the customer. And then also creating a sense of transparency so that people understand that who I personally am and I'm kind of behind the designs and who the, the cats in the pictures are and 
just creating like you would go out and meet a new friend. You know, there's lots of different levels to them, and you can keep them straight from all your other friends. So as much transparency as possible to create the, uh, the biggest picture possible for any visitor to the site or customer of ours. Does that make sense? It's a little, little loose. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, I'm not a designer, but when I, when I looked at your, you know, your cat furniture, I thought it was, it was just really a cool design, you know, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't have a cat, so I'm not your market, but you know, I thought, man, that's that's just really an awesome, and it's hard to, you know, but I mean, everybody, you know, obviously, you know, uh, check out Happer uh, and, and look at it, but but it's just really unique. So I mean, obviously, that's one differentiator, right, compared to like others that just think of, you know, pet furniture as a commodity and it doesn't have to look good and it, you know, it, it doesn't have to serve that kind of serve a purpose. So I mean, obviously, one is the design itself. Uh, but I'm always interested, you know, what are the things that companies do to kind of differentiate themselves from all the other competitors out there? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. I'm glad you like it. I think <laughs> a, a quick a quick comment on, on what you mentioned, and and I think uniqueness, right? So uh, there's plenty of great business people that can start a business that's very similar to somebody else's and through their, you know, their amazing financial abilities or their great marketing abilities, they can – they can kill it in that marketplace. Um, my strengths are design, and my interests are creating unique things. So it would it would it would make me pretty bored to just knock off somebody else's thing. So I kind of my metric, my personal metric is, you know, is it different and better than anything else out there? And I guess that also feeds differentiation. Let's talk about customers and and building a following for your brand mm -hmm. do you do you i mean how how do you handle that what kind of relationship do you want to build with your customers and and how does that happen on a daily basis well part of the great thing about selling direct is having direct contact with the customers and you know i'm borderline crazy cat person and i have definitely talked to a lot of crazy cat people and I like it. You know, we all have our, our passions, and the people that are passionate about the pets that live with them are are great, and it's it's fantastic. So um, daily interactions through people sending in pictures. I see a lot of stuff popping up on Instagram and Pinterest. Um, I reach out to people in that kind of direct way through uh, the social channels, Facebook, um, a little bit of Twitter. We're, we're not super active on Twitter. We're getting more involved with the image based so the, the Pinterest and Instagram stuff but um, that kind of yeah leveraging social networks and also just emailing direct when people have questions or if I see someone that has written in and I, I want to jump into the flow and say hi and compliment them on their cat or something like that yeah um, let's talk about what is what is the most effective or what are the most effective marketing channels for Happer today? I mean, you've been in business for, for several years now, started in 07, 2014, talking about seven years of being in business. Uh, what have you learned about marketing and, and how do you market um, your products differently or in additional ways today than you were in the beginning? Um, I think, uh, well, I've learned a ton since I started at zero. Um, the the best, I think the best channel for us is email marketing. 
again, it's kind of direct to the customer. It can be a personal voice. Uh, I've found that that uh, is the best return on investment for sure. People love hearing from us, from me, uh, especially about sales and discounts, um, as well as just other pet news. So email, for sure. Um, and then similarly, back to the social channels, marketing, <clears throat> excuse me, through them, um, ideally with uh, the goal of getting people back onto our email list to have that conversation direct on that plat- on the email platform rather than like in Facebook where it's easy to get lost. We have experimented with affiliate stuff, with banner ads, with AdWords, um, Facebook ads and such. They are secondary at this stage. I think that uh, it takes someone very skilled to do all of those effectively. And um, I think having a, a bigger budget also makes a lot of sense when you start running campaigns like that. So for now, we're focusing on content marketing. Again, it kind of ties back into the transparency model. And uh, So give me an example of the content marketing. What, what kind of content are you, are you marketing? So uh, blog, basically, um, blog content through our main site, as well as through social channels. So the Facebook posts may not exactly match up with blogs, but maybe similar, um, we're working on a series of videos through our YouTube channel that could be seen on a lot of different platforms. But basically writing and video, um, there are some some mumblings of having a pet-related podcast in the future, which I think would be super fun to do. Um, but that kind of content, I guess, is uh, where we're really trying to focus. So how do you build your email list? Uh, you mentioned email as being a very effective uh, channel for you, marketing channel. Um, w- how, do you build, uh, how, how do you build a list? So currently it's a, there's a, a passive sign-up just on the sites, um, which just for anyone that's definitely interested can easily sign up on Hepper.com. Um, but we also do promotions uh, occasionally through... Facebook or uh, even through our blog just with giveaways, which seems to be a great way to get people to sign up. Everyone likes a reason to give away their email address, including me. Um, And those have been the primary way. So giveaways and just a a passive interest sign up on the site. Do you cross-promote or have partnerships with other businesses? Uh, We have done that in the past, and that has been super effective. So we're definitely planning on doing more of that. Okay, so let's talk about uh, uh, maybe a mistake or a learning experience for our audience. Uh, you know, maybe a, the biggest mistake that you made in in business that we can learn from. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure if it was the biggest, but in terms of mistakes, you, you probably can already tell that design is my main interest, and uh, and business is is certainly a, a close second, but. Sometimes I let design take the lead, and uh, early on I had this great idea for a modern birdhouse, which I designed and produced at great expense with molds and all of that, and it was a total flop. I, in fact, still have a bunch of them sitting in the garage. So that was one situation where I really did not do my research thinking about target market or interest of customers or anything else, and I just kind of went blindly forward thinking, oh, this is a great idea. Now, that product might have sold well on a modern burnhouse-related site, but a site related to cats and dogs probably was definitely not <laughs> the smartest move. So I'd say that was one of the early, early big mistakes. 
So how does that change? Did that change your thinking at all? So now if you want to introduce a new product, do you go through a different process? At least internally, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, again, I'm not big on surveys and all that, although I, I'm certainly going to start utilizing a much bigger outreach for future products. But, you know, we're releasing a new product in the next couple of months that I haven't asked anybody about. I just have a gut feeling on but it's, you know, it's for cats at least. It's not another birdhouse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me, um, what do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs? Uh, you know, there are a million different things we can spend our days on uh, building our businesses. But uh, maybe from your own experience or people that you know that are in business, uh, what do you think people waste their time on? Well, the the easy big answer is doing things that someone else could do, which I'm learning. So I have a little note on my computer that says, can someone else do this for every task that I'm, I'm currently on? So uh, that's kind of a, a, a no answer answer. But um, more, I guess the biggest time sink for me is emails. But what was really behind emails is figuring out is it something that is like a data entry request that someone else could be doing versus is it a design tweak that only I can be doing? Um, repeated tasks, yeah, emails, data entry, like financial stuff, order entry stuff, follow-up, a lot of follow-up with customers. I don't know. What is it for you and your business? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's really good. And, and I think of it uh, the same way. You know, if, I, if I'm doing the same task over and over enough times, I think to myself, you know, I need to create a process and outsource it. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, if I do something the first time, I want to know how I need, I need it done. So I don't want to outsource it because I want to make sure it's done right. But after I've done it a few times, it's no longer a challenge, and it's pretty much just – it's not a waste of time because it has to be done. But, you know, why not outsource it uh, and, uh, you know, do something that I can't outsource? Exactly. Are you you currently using SOPs and virtual assistants and all that? Yeah, I'm using uh, virtual assistants. I also own a web development company, so mm-hmm. and and I have uh, and I I've, I've been, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I don't normally talk about my business, but actually <laughs> somebody's gonna uh, interview me in uh, in a couple of weeks. So so but uh, so I've been I've been uh, you know I really love outsourcing mm-hmm. and I love virtual assistants and I I love. Uh, and I actually like the whole process of hiring and finding people because that's a big challenge too. I don't know about you, but you know, once you find somebody that's good, it's such a it's such such a thrill, you know. And um, you know, so I love that whole process. And so so I, I do a lot of that, and I I think everybody should, even if you're very small and if you only outsource two hours a week, it starts you think about your business in a different way. It sounds like I could learn a lot from you. I'm, I'm in that stage now of figuring out how to do all of that. And, uh, well, we may have to talk offline okay. at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more question. Um, I mean, you obviously built, you build, you're building a brand, you're selling products, uh, you manufacture, you, you're building a very complex business and you're succeeding. If a friend came to you or maybe somebody in your family and, and you know, they have a job now, they're, they're not an entrepreneur, but they see your success and say, you know, Jed, help me, help me start. What would be the first skill that you would tell them that you need to learn? Hmm. I 
guess I'm going to assume it's a product-based business because that's my angle. Um, and I'm going to assume they don't have any product design experience, but they have an idea for a widget of some kind. So I, I, people ask me this a lot, um, but I think the best place that I would say to start would be to get your hands on some materials, whether it's cardboard and duct tape or glue guns or whatever you can do, whether it's baking cakes or whatever your thing is. But if you're going to make a physical product, start getting your hands on some physical materials and see if you can make some some version of this product that you have in mind and see if you can get it to work. Because I feel like having an intimate knowledge of your concept beyond thinking and writing about it, but actually working with it is probably the, the, the most important thing to start with. Does that make sense? That's, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. It makes per perfect sense. How can people find out about Happer or connect with you? Oh, well, you can um, visit the site, uh, www.hepper.com, -E anytime. Um, we do have a Facebook presence at Hepper Home, Facebook slash Hepper Home, or uh, you can reach out to me on uh, Twitter at Jed Crystal. Sounds good. So everybody out there, check out, if, even if you don't have uh, a cat, Check out Hepper.com because, uh, you know, just to see the design and Jed's uh, design genius, I think you get a kick out of it. And, um, and if you know anybody with cats, <laughs> tell them for sure to check out Hepper. And, uh, Jed, I wish you much success for the next seven years in business Thank you. Uh, with your brand. And hopefully you can come back sometime in the future and tell us how you continue to grow your business. I'd love it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Jed. Okay. Bye, -bye. Bye everyone.